It costs dearly, but home always does. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Munich, part two. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. Thanks for joining us for part two of Munich. We're going to be looking at the second hour and 15 minutes of Munich by Steven Spielberg and starring Eric Bana, in case you missed the first part. And we ended just as they were arriving in Athens to make another assassination attempt. Now, before we jump into it, I just want to say that I, watching this movie in the past, the second half is always what ruins it for me. <laughs> All right. All we right. will see if that's yeah. the case this time around. But this is when the movie, first of all, stuff starts blowing up as much. And it gets dark and sad, and everybody's miserable. Since we've already done the synopsis from last time, let's just let's uh, remind our viewers where we left the, left left them off. Our team arrives in the safe house in Athens, and it's it's a dump, to it put sucks. it mildly. Like Robert crap. even says, "Like I've had nightmares that look like this." <laughs> and they have to sleep on the floor on mattresses. And then Robert is, you know, going through the explosives they have and saying how they're pretty old they're from world war ii and might be faulty like what only four out of the six of them were right. salvageable and they've been dealing with bad explosives and things not really working for a while now mm -hmm. and these were again provided by louis and again why are they still trusting him to provide explosives well the, the answer to that question i feel is pretty obvious which is that they don't have a choice that's fair but i mean still like after the ridiculous explosion from the hotel that other time you'd think they would have at least tried to vet it you know more before and i guess they are they are actually looking at it this time rather yeah, than that, just yeah. trusting mm -hmm. the, I, I don't think they're trusting him blindly but i think avner even makes it clear that without him they would be sunk they would have mm -hmm. pretty much nothing to go on and they're not quite sleeping but the, it's you know it's night here are these footsteps coming up the stairs and voices speaking Arabic, and you know, so they get you know behind couches and whatever furniture they can you know find cover under, and the men mm. burst in the door with, and they all draw their guns. Well, and, well, it, I mean, they don't burst in the door; they just okay, kind of they come in the away. door, right, right, yeah. yeah. Well, th because the point is, as it's quickly realized after a near fatal shooting of on both sides, is that <laughs> they were also working with Louis, and they also believed that this would be a safe house for them. <laughs> So Robert, like, qu very quickly on his feet, lies and says that they are all like different. They're German factions. Reds. Yeah, the red, they're red faction, uh, red army ETA, faction. ETA, ANC, Basque. I think they mm -hmm. he says that they're all from different places because you know they're all obviously like uh, Steve's supposed to be South African, so he's with ANC. Which I'm not. Do you have you heard of any of these before besides Red Army? I've heard of the uh, I've heard of the ANC. Yeah. Okay. These guys we find out are PLO. Mm -hmm. who are, you know, the exact opposite of Avner's team. Right. I mean, they would definitely kill it would, They would definitely try and kill them if they knew who they were, yeah. and vice versa, too. But like Dave said, you shoot people, you blow your cover. <laughs> so I, I wanted to mention something here is the part where they all their guns point at each other. Steve sees a kindred spirit in this other guy. Do you remember this part? Where they're, like, I both pointing not. guns at each other, and they both have, like, these big, buggy, crazy eyes. <laughs> I did not notice you were that. Just ready to oh, go. I have to go back and watch that. Uh, so they they make it explicit that there are other Louis customers, and it made me wonder mm -hmm. if this was done intentionally. 
Fire it, Yeah, I kind of like because this is right after the debacle in what Beirut. Mm-hmm. So maybe well, not, not only is it after to... not only is it after the debacle in Beirut, but it's after the scene with Papa where Papa like puts Louis in his place. Ah, uh, maybe yeah. So he can't get back at Papa, but he can get back at our heroes by like setting them up. Maybe he didn't think that they were going to actually kill each other, but it was enough of a warning to be like, mm-hmm. hey. You know. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they all end up uh, sharing the safe house. In- interestingly mm-hmm. enough, Stephen, one of the PLO, as maybe it's the same guy who he finds a kindred spirit with, are fighting yeah. over the radio. Mm-hmm. And then so one, you know, the the PLO guy is turning it to an Arabic uh, station, and then fr- Steve is turning it to like a French station, I think it was. And then they finally settle on American music. Ain't that how it should be? <laughs> And uh, they all they all like think it's funny and, and they they all laugh. I I feel like this isn't this something that has happened in like prison movies where they're <laughs> fighting over the radio or like in the office where they fight over the air conditioner. Mm. It seems to be a common trope. Yeah. But not unwelcome here. Yeah. A little a little bit of humor in this sort of in this darker half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and then while this is happening, Avner and one of the PLO guys, um, I forget what his name was. Do you have his catch his name? I don't think they ever mentioned his name. Uh, they they do they do because they call out to him later on. Oh okay, but no, but, I, I don't. I didn't write his name down. Okay. Well, so they're having you know you know both having a cigarette and uh, having a philosophical argument about Palestine and Israel. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the PLO guy says eventually the Arabs will rise against Israel. Israel will cease to exist. We can wait forever. Now, of course. How well do you know your Israeli history? Because this is early 1973. 73. Oh, um, not that well, but... On October of 1973 was the October War, also known as the Yom Kippur War. Oh. In which oh. Egypt and Syria did their own surprise attack against Israel. <laughs> wow. And I, I think he, our, our character in the movie even says that Egypt and Syria are going to be the ones to sort it. Hmm. Or to, like, to, to lead the way. Of yeah. course, they're making the movie with the benefit of hindsight, so you can have characters right. be really prescient when they're when the movie's set in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other, thing, other things he says is that we'll make the world unsafe for Jews. The world will see us as monsters, but they'll say that you turned us into monsters. Hmm. We'll, it'll take 100 years, but eventually we'll win. See, you European Reds don't know what it's like not to have a home. Home is everything. First time, at least in this half, where they really start emphasizing this thing about home. Mm-hmm. And it'll come up a bunch more times about talking about home. But this is the first time we really get that sort of hammering home, that message. So I'm not sure what's going on with the whole 9-11 parallel that we talked about at length in the previous mm-hmm. episode. So where does home is everything fit into that? Because Al-Qaeda is not fighting for a home. Mm, no, and I I think they're mixing Spielberg in this part is miss, missing two messages about one about home and fight, people fighting for homes, and then also throwing in the nine eleven parallels too. Well, it it could be that he's like, well, Al Qaeda and the people were fighting in the war on terrorism fir- very firmly believe that they're on the right, and mm. their mechanism for why they think they're on the right is different, but they mm. still do. could be, yeah. yeah. But, but of course, the thing about this home is everything is that, yes, the Palestinians want a home. And we talked about Ephraim's comment in Spy Fact versus Fiction last uh, last last time that he's not mm-hmm. unsympathetic to that view. The problem is that the Israelis want a home, too. Mm-hmm. 
but that's not for our, that's above our pay grade to figure out. <laughs> right. So the next I have is that um, they sneak into a hotel room of their target. Mm -hmm. This is in Greece. And they wire his TV to blow up. Yeah. So their target this time is, uh, as we said last episode, Zaid Muchasi, who's the replacement for the one of the people who they killed, who was the KGB contact for Black September. Mm -hmm. They have paid off one of the hotel workers to let them in. Right. And they're wiring the bomb inside the TV. And outside, Steve shoots out a streetlight. And I'm re realizing, is this the first time we've seen Steve shoot a gun? Um, like, I feel like he question. may have had a gun <laughs> when they did the raid on Beirut, or maybe not. But I don't think we oh, ever saw him fire it. He definitely had a gun during Beirut. Yeah, but I feel like this is the first time we see him fire it. And there's also, like, with a silencer on it, too. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, this being Daniel Craig, of course, makes me think about James Bond. Well, of course, especially that. So he shoots out the lights so that they can't see into the car too well because they just mm -hmm. wait and wait and wait at the hotel for the target to show up. Yeah. And so eventually the Russians arrive with the target and yes. the target goes upstairs to his hotel and the Russians are waiting for him. Mm -hmm. And as we see it downstairs... Now, so, so the, the fact that he's guarded yeah. by the Russians is like scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you don't want to get on the Russians' radar, right? And that's something that Ephraim explicitly called out. And that's why they're not working in Eastern Bloc countries, right? So the fact that they're going after this guy despite his KGB connections shows that things are getting to be a little bit more scary, more dangerous. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they see the hotel worker that who they paid off come downstairs and help taking mm -hmm. a cigarette break and so they realize okay he must be alone upstairs by himself so they try to activate the bomb right. and robert's fut you know futzing with the control the activator and nothing happens and right. there's so it's robert and uh steve in one car and then carl and hans, and hans they're all there the, yeah they're all but they're in two separate cars yes and so, you know, one car, they're like, what, you know, how come it hasn't gone off? So Hans gets out of the car and Avner, and like, just goes sees at him. It. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, goes, goes out and just see what's going on. Hans goes in, gets a, has a grenade with him, which, where did he get this grenade? <laughs> Is this, like, one of the other pieces that they had? I don't know. Presumably the same place they got everything else. So, Louis. Right. So he get has the grenade, like he like kicks open the door of mm -hmm. the target, and the target's like there, like looking at like has no idea what's going on, and he rolls the grenade underneath the TV. Pretty pretty good move. I don't yeah. think I could do that. So he rolls the grenade under the TV. Yeah. The guy like starts wrestling with him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and and Hans like throws him off closes the door and then it explodes and the, the door like gets blown over. Mm -hmm. But the target is killed. And and Hans is still alive. Barely, but yes. Yeah. So then down on the ground, all hell is breaking loose. It starts to be a gun battle. Steve mm -hmm. shoots the KGB, KGB guy. That's right. PLO guys from before have shown up like during in, this inter intervening time to so mm. shoot out with them. And then I'm pretty sure while they drive past Avner shoots the same PLO guy that he was just having the conversation. Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Yeah. So they get away. There's a part where the car like jumps. Do you remember this part <laughs> where it like goes mm -hmm. over like a bump and the car like is airborne. Mm -hmm. 
But meanwhile, they're all arguing like, oh my God, how could you do that, Hans? That was so dangerous. That was so stupid, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So they argue with Robert and they're like, how come all of your explosives keep failing? What's wrong? Why Why is this? And then we find out that Robert was not trained to build bombs. He was trained to dismantle them. That's right. In, yeah. in the army, to be specific. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering about this. Do you think it was the scene in the safe house that caused them all to like crack? Because I wanted some kind of explanation for why suddenly Hans is going off book and suddenly Robert's like losing his 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 mind. Mm-hmm. Something like some some kind of scene, and I, the only thing I can think of is the scene in the safe house where they all almost all shoot each other. Yeah, I think that probably at least it put them on edge a lot more, to, and to know that their safe house wasn't actually safe. Mm-hmm. So I can see that being a good reason why. Okay. So Louis has a meeting with Avner. Mm-hmm. Tells him that you know Salam. He knows where Salome is, but he's being guarded by the CIA because the CIA gives them names. Gives him money. Yeah, gives him money. CIA gives him money. It's so, a, it's like a protection yeah. racket. It's like mm-hmm. the CIA gives him money, and in return, Palestinian terrorists don't kill Americans. Right. Kill Americans right. who live in Israel. <laughs> so we, we we go back. So but they're still going to go after Salome. Mm-hmm. Just watch out for that. And then they'll like pretend they, I guess they'll pretend they don't know if anybody asks about the CIA connection. Mm-hmm. All right. So we go back to, well, a different safe house, I, I presume. Yeah. Not the flop house this time. A, a much nicer one. <laughs> yeah. And Steve and Carl are having a uh, argument. Steve accuses Carl of not being, pretty much not being gung-ho enough to go to, in going after these guys. Well, he goes beyond that. He calls him effectively a traitor. Yeah, and are you sure you're, you're circumcised even? Like, even calls that right. out? <laughs> so Steve goes, like, full right-wing, like, murderer here. He yeah. says, yeah, I'm the only... He says, I think I'm the only one here who actually wants to shoot these guys. And the only blood that matters to me is Jewish blood. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what Steve is kind of fulfilling here. Basically, they have this argument, but they don't resolve anything. Right. Yeah. The mission continues. So they go after Salome in London, and he's got the armed bodyguards. And so all four of, uh, or five of them at this point yes. are approaching him and they're from different angles. And as Avner's right about to go in for the kill, seemingly, he gets distracted by these Americans who are like, aren't you Robert so-and-so? Don't you recognize me? Come on, man. And there's like three or four Americans who are distract, like, distracting him. Steve comes over, tries to like, you know, just get them out of the way. But by this point, by the point that they actually leave, Salome is gone. So did you do you like how this part was like peak John LeCare spy stuff? <laughs> so not only are they dressed like spies, mm-hmm. the hats and, the, and even the trench coats, but you also get the like pretending to be not a spy while interrupting a spy mission. Mm-hmm. It was like the nadir of spy stuff in this movie. And also because it's London, of course, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, why else would they be wearing those coats? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and these, as the Americans, you know, they get into a car, and as they drive, they drive past them and drive away. They all give them the finger. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them even punches Avner in the face. Oh, that's right. And it yeah. looks like it was going to be a full-on street brawl between the three Americans and the five Israelis, but then yeah. they they back off almost as quickly. So I seem to remember watching this movie that they actually confirmed that those guys worked for the CIA, but then watching it again, they didn't. Yeah. It's left ambiguous, but presumably they they were because why else would a bunch of Americans do that? Yeah, so we find Avner in a bar, and he's making eyes at this 
woman next to him and mm. you know they flirt a little bit and she's pretty forward and says you know i've got to work i've got to get up early in the morning so if this is going to happen is this you know, going to happen just like anytime you want come to my hotel room Maybe mm. I'll, I'll probably be there. One of the things that we have, that is dropped here is that she has apparently a very distinctive perfume. Right. So my question about this scene is why did he approach her? I think he's, I don't know. It's uh, it's a moment of weakness, which he somewhat recovers from because he doesn't actually go through with it. I have, I have a theory that's a little, makes him look a little bit better. That okay. he thought she was a honey pot mm -hmm. trap, as they honey say trap. later, honey trap mm -hmm. later. And he wanted to like go over and talk to her and see if that was the case and confirm that it was true. But then it's like, well, does Zeke approach every woman in every bar that he always goes to just in mm. case they're a honey trap? So I think, I think, well, I, I don't necessarily believe that because, and for our listeners who do not know what a honey, well, the honey trap or a honey pot is, it is yeah. basically a spy who's trained in, you know, art of seduction and uses the, the you know, seduces the person, or the spy to get information from them. Right, though it isn't as common in real life as you would see in the movies, and most mm -hmm. of the time, in my very limited understanding, the honey trap tends to be a man going after women rather than vice versa. Mm. I don't know. I, um, I can't really quantify whether it happens more yeah, often. I just no know idea. that at, at the spy museums that I've been to, they highlight a couple of examples of a really hot guy who's going after women. Hmm. But I don't remember right. any more details than that. Yeah, um, I, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that because I think, because I think he would warn, he'd probably warn. So I think he's just saying that she's just the local uh, girl who's fishing for guys, not necessarily an actual honey trap. Right, but but then when Carl comes by later, mm -hmm. like in the very next scene, Avner says to him, "Beware the local honey trap." So yeah. local is what jumps out to me. Mm. Again, I that think, a lot of places have honey traps. I think he's using it colloquially and not as actually as a spy term, honey trap. Okay. Yeah, I, because then he would be much more concerned when Carl eventually goes, you know, he finds her in Carl's room. Oh, that's true. But, yeah. but we're kind of skipping out a little bit. Okay, so let's go back. So Carl, right. you know, he meets with Carl and... He says that he's not sure if the Americans are CIA or not. They could have been tipped off, by, or they could work for Louis, or Louis could be CIA, or Louis could be Mossad. Or, and he goes through all these different scenarios right. of what could be actually going on. Mm -hmm. But eventually they part ways with Carl. He goes upstairs and he calls his wife, which mm -hmm. because he's in the UK, I guess the time zones work a little bit better because she's in New York now. Mm -hmm. And their baby is born. Well, we knew the baby was born. The, right. the baby's grown up a little bit, and it's yeah, talking so now. This, this is the first week of confirmation that she actually went to Brooklyn. He yes. was the last we saw. You know, he was trying to convince her to go to Brooklyn, but we didn't actually see a resolution of that. Mm -hmm. And so he hears. You know, she, he, you know, the wife puts his daughter, his baby daughter, on the phone, and he hears his daughter talk, and kind of has an emotional breakdown. Right, and then we get another flashback back to mm -hmm. the Munich massacre, which will, which we hadn't seen one in a while, I feel. No. I think the last one was when he got on the plane to start this whole thing. Could be. I'm not going to go back yeah. into it, but it could, could be. <laughs> so in this flashback, the, the uh, Israeli hostages are brought blindfolded on a bus, and they're getting on the helicopters, and mm -hmm. then Avner wakes up. Yes. 
it starts wandering the halls of the hotel again. I guess mm, he goes. He to goes see, down to the bar. Yes, to see if she's there. Mm, and it she's looks like the bar is closed too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's there. Not just her. Mm -hmm. So he goes back up to his room, and mm -hmm. as he goes go into his room, he can smell the perfume, and he and he smells it coming from Carl's room. Mm -hmm. And he even says, "Like, damn it, Carl, I saw her first. <laughs> yeah. So again, if she was actually like the honey trap in spy vernacular, he'd be much more concerned. Right. So I don't think it's that. I think he was just using it as like a colloquialism of she, her, just being the local woman who's trying to pick up men. At least for now. Yeah. And then he notices that Carl's door is not entirely closed. He like pushes it open and it's open. Yeah. And Carl is there naked on his bed, not moving. Right. And he goes over, he lifts his head up. There's blood coming out of his head. Mm -hmm. I was unclear how he was actually killed. It looked like he was shot in the back of the head. Ah, well... With a, with a small caliber round, so it didn't go all the way through. I see. Yeah, okay, that, that makes more sense. Because the front of his head looked fine, and then the back yeah. is, like, covered with blood. At least he died happy. Oh. So, after this... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving moment, that moment of silence for Carl. <laughs> uh, so, Avner meets with Louis. Right. And Avner is going through all these photos of different women assassins. And we, and we see the papas there, too. Yes, which surprised so I, me. It surprised me yeah. that Papa would come out of his little castle because a guy who does what he does almost certainly has enemies. Mm -hmm. I think he wouldn't want to expose himself like that. Yeah, so Avner's able to identify the woman mm -hmm. and they give her, uh, Papa and Louis give Avner the name for free to assuage any fears that Avner might have that they're responsible or involved with this. Mm hmm. We learn that the woman is an assassin. Her name mm -hmm. is Jeanette, and she's Dutch. And they tell her, they tell our heroes where she lives. Yeah. So the team travels to Holland to go mm -hmm. after her. And as this is go in the train station, Robert's having second thoughts. Yes. He says, all this blood comes back to us. We're supposed to be righteous. Mm -hmm. And then Robert's like, forget it. I need, I need a break. I'm going to step out for this yeah. one. And so Avner says, all right, you know, go go ahead. I'll, I'll find you when we need you. Mm -hmm. And so we find that the woman lives in a boathouse. Yes. Steve they bike there. Yeah. Steve and Avner enter. And mm -hmm. she, so they get get their weapons ready. Well, they she have, they have these guns. Sorry, yeah. they have these guns that are like, look like bicycle tubes. Yeah. And the way they shoot them is by hitting them in the back like a blowgun. And they also make silence bullets, but mm -hmm. it's pretty but they cool. Don't, they're not good for reloading, though, because so we see, like, she's trying to seduce him. She like removes her robe, mm -hmm. and even well, and she, like she's basically trying to do anything to get them to not kill her. They even said, "You could hire me. You know that right. I work. You know I'm, I, that I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> they shoot and they shoot her like mm -hmm. both in the chest, and then they need to reload. And but she's still like very you know very much conscious as the as like they're trying to reload and like even like Avner's like give, give me another bullet. So this is like an old school movie thing. I mm. noticed this when they, they the first guy they killed, the guy with the groceries, mm. is that they shoot him and then he goes like, uh, and kind of looks around and spins in a circle. It reminds me of those old like war movies mm -hmm. where guys get hit and then they kind of do this big dramatic death. And I this wonder, one, 
I can believe though because it like those while they're very sneaky, they it's probably a low caliber round, so it probably mm-hmm. takes more. You, you have to have a very precise shot. They should have done what uh, Hans comes in later and just shoots th- does it right in her head, and that like takes her out. Yeah, but I I think it also is showing the transition of movie making from like the old the old school to the modern era of where mm. guns are brutal and generally will instantly mess somebody up hmm. no matter what kind of gun it is she she, she goes for a gun before they shoot her she has oh, a yeah. gun in like a drawer mm-hmm. and then while she's dying she hugs her cat oh i didn't notice that oh yeah, yeah. It's like it's like while she's like stumbling around she like grabs the cat and hugs it because she's a woman who lives by herself so of course she has a cat stereotype hmm. yeah as she's dying avna tries to cover her up and hans mm-hmm. says you know leave her and leave it and then uncovers her yep and then they have a team dinner and Avner's like, I think this is again, going back to how Avner cooks. And I think yeah, more cooking. Part, he's cooking when he's stressed out because he makes like a ridiculous amount of food for mm-hmm. just uh, four, four, what, three four. people, three people because Robert's not there. Oh yeah. Cause Robert's not there. Right. So then while they're, while they're eating, they talk about 130 passengers killed in Athens. Someone quotes gold in my ear saying killing Jews is now an expensive proposition. Mm-hmm. Which again is like September 11th, where you can hit us, but we're going to hit you back a lot harder, and uh, maybe you'll think twice about it because that won't go wrong. Mm-hmm. And they also get make a mention of Carlos the Jackal, who yes. performed some of those killings, who supposed real uh, contract killer, and also appeared in the 19 in the as a main villain in the 1988 version of the Born Identity. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say the day of the jackal, but I think also that's a different that. jackal. Um, that may be a different jackal. Actually. I think it's just a fictional character who's named the jackal. Yeah. Is it a jackal? A jackal? Is it a jackal? <laughs> so next, after, seemingly after dinner, um, when Abner's asleep, Steve goes into Abner's room, says he went to go check on Carl afterwards because he was being, he wasn't quite right, and said that you know Carl wasn't in his flat all night so, and they find him on a bench near a river and he's been killed with a knife. Yes. And said that they I, didn't take anything and he'd just been left there. So this part reminded me of like a horror movie. Mm. Uh, oh, you mean all of them slowly getting picked off? Right. And just the sort of general tone and the way that it looks and the way it's not clear how Hans was dead until they get up close. Mm-hmm. Big time. So then the next scene is what I think of when I think of this movie, especially the second half of it, which is it feels like forever of Avner going nuts and becoming paranoid. Yeah. When he gets back, he searches his room. He's like going through all the rooms with a gun. He doesn't see anyone. Mm-hmm. He searches his bed for a bomb. He searches his phone, his TV, basically all the places that they that they hid bombs. I think he asked in the previous scene, he asked Louie, am I being hunted? Mm-hmm. And so intercut with this is Robert, who's in a cabin in the woods, and he's, mm-hmm. like, playing around with bombs. I, I wasn't sure if he was either building them or dismantling them, or, or what was he doing? Both. Probably building one, I would think. Uh-huh. That is his job now. And you'll see all his toys that he made, like, oh, just mm-hmm. around the house. And, yeah, so Avner is, yeah, he's cracking. He's going a little nutso here. Right. Getting super paranoid. The scene of Avner cracking up concludes with him finally going into his closet and trying the to blanket, sleep, yeah. Which, which is a callback to earlier in the movie when they talked about an agent who slept in his closet every night. For oh, exactly that's that right. Reason. I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, so when we cut back to Robert and we see one of his toys. So 
Was it the Ferris wheel that set off the bomb? I think it's just a coincidence. Okay. I so think the Ferris yeah. wheel moving is designed to show it's like a countdown to his death. Ah, uh-huh, I see. Because yes, I don't no. see how it could have caused it to blow up. I don't know. You're right. So, but yeah, so Robert's whole cabin blows up. Mm-hmm. And Avner gets a call from someone and he finds out about Robert yes. and goes to a meeting with Louie. And while, like, as he's meeting with Louie, he's, he's looking in a window at this big giant kitchen and in the reflection, he see like, in his mind's eye, he sees Robert. And then when he, he turns and when he turns back, it's actually Louie. Yeah, I like that part. Mm-hmm. And Louis gives him some new info on Salome, uh, where he is, and he's in a compound. Yes. When he asks, he asks why he's helping him, and Louis mm-hmm. says, you pay better than anyone. <laughs> and then he starts talking about the kitchen. He's like, hey, you like that kitchen? You can have it. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to pay? What are you going to do to get it? Mm-hmm. They raid Salome's compound, and it's just Louis and Steve. Uh, Louis, Avner and Steve, rather. Right. They try and to use there's... a sniper rifle, but it's like a house party's happening. <laughs> Mr. Popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of people there. And they have him have what who Avner thinks is Salome in mm-hmm. his sights. And like Steve's like, Are you sure? You need to be sure. And as they're waiting, and when the, the moment of hesitation, a guard finds them. Right. And they shoot him pretty much point blank from uh, with the sniper rifle, and he d- dies and falls into the pool. Yeah, gunfight ens- ensues. Well, it's not really just... a gun. It's not really no, a gun. Yeah. They, they get shot at rather yes, yeah. as they as they run away. Mm-hmm. So of course that is a second failed attempt on Salome. And at, after this, Avner returns to Israel mm-hmm. and gets a ride from some Shinbet soldiers. Now, uh, can you describe to our listeners who the Shinbet are. Sure, this is something I didn't know for a long time until someone explained it to me. Shinbet is the equivalent of the FBI. They do internal oh, security. Okay. I did not know that. Alright, yeah. so Mossad is like CIA and Shinbet right. is it. Okay. So so these two guys think he's just the greatest. Think Avner is just the greatest. They're like, <laughs> we want to shake your hand. It's such a pleasure it's an honor to, to meet you. you. Yeah. yeah. And Avner, of course, because he's Mr. Negative now, not that he doesn't, not that he doesn't have reason to be, is not having it. And I think the reason is that he sees the future in them. Mm. He sees them starting their career. Eventually they're going to end up like him. Mm-hmm. I can like, see that. Yeah. I can't really think of what, why else it would be in the movie. You don't really need to show a scene of him going to a crime's headquarters. Well, I think that there was just, uh, it would, uh, it shows that for while he may think that, you know, no one knows about what he did. There are people who do. And, they only see that as a, him as a hero rather than as how he feels. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Avner meets with Ephraim, and Ephraim says that they have no issues with anything they did except for the woman on the houseboat. But and mm-hmm. they still want to know who Louis group is, and he's and Avner's like, no, they'll never work with you. Uh, they only value your loyalty. And Ephraim gets riled up by this and says, the only loyalty you have is to Israel. But Avner still won't give them up. Yeah. No matter what. Mm-hmm. They meet with the general, and the general gives Avner a big old hug, <laughs> which is interesting, but then says, You're not going to get a medal or anything. Mm-mm. Were you expecting one? So then Ephraim starts a tape recorder and says, June 16th, 1973. Hmm. And the, the fact that they mentioned the date was interesting. It's also a mistake, but we'll talk about oh, it in Spy oh, okay. Fact versus right, Tim right. later. <laughs> 
he starts the audio tape and he wants Avner to give all the details about the group. Mm-hmm. Avner refuses. Ephraim says, I'll court martial you. Avner <laughs> says, You can't martial me. I don't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Avner goes to see his mother and they, mm-hmm. they're talking about how, you know, all her family is is dead and just emphasizing the seemingly the need for israel really a place for them to call home okay so i didn't like this part okay yeah <laughs> so, so so just one last thing about israel she says we had to take it no one would give it to us mm-hmm. it's true but this is what i think i i didn't realize this the last few times i watched the movie but this is what i didn't like about it is they have the same conversation like five times <laughs> just with All different right. people mm-hmm. really hammer that home point point home yeah, it's like once is enough. We we get it, okay? We get it. So Avner offers to tell his mom what he did. She doesn't want to know. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I don't need to know. I just know that what you did was right, basically. She's very trusting. Yeah. More trusting than him. So then the next scene, I think they're at the airport. Mm-hmm. Or they're, so Avner is about to leave uh, yes. Israel, and he's meeting with Ephraim. Hadn't mm-hmm. brought him some baklava. Yeah, the way I learned how to pronounce it when I was there was baklava. Really? Oh. But I, I don't think no it's wrong. Idea. It's just different. <laughs> but I was confused. And then the balaclava is like a head thing. So <laughs> yes, make sure get you get it right. I'm <laughs> yes. still mad at Avner, mm-hmm. but, but he still wants Avner to come back. Right. He says, you know, take some rest and then we'll put you back in the field. Not anywhere in Europe, but maybe somewhere maybe else. Maybe in America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Avner like, goes no. to New York City. <laughs> Sees his wife, almost gets hit by a car, but but they get back together. And this and is the first of his daughter. Yes, yeah. finally his daughter. And this is the first of what I call the Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! So it's like the mission's over. So the movie's over, right? Okay, wait. He has to see his family. Okay, he sees his family. The movie's over, right? But no, 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 no. <laughs> the movie just keeps going. But yeah, so in the middle of the night, he's he's holding his gun in a chair, and apparently he's had some nightmares. His wife tells him to get, go back to bed, mm-hmm. and he thinks then, he's being followed. There's a scene mm-hmm. where he's carrying his daughter, and he thinks a car is following them, and maybe it is. It's not clear. And then the car roll like half rolls down its window, and it's like like you would imagine if they were about to you know just stick a gun out there and shoot him. But right. they were just throwing out a cigarette. And he actually called, so he calls Sylvie and asks, I need to talk with your father. Is Louis there? And then gives him the number for, the, says, call him, call me back at this number. Gives him the number. He's calling the payphone. Mm-hmm. And so and he's also, waiting there for a while. Yeah. So also in this scene, you can see his wedding ring is back. Ah, in the, in the I, didn't know, the, I didn't catch that. Ah, so yeah. he calls Papa, he talks to Papa, he says, Am I being hunted? To which Papa says, How's your father? Mm-hmm. How's your family? And. Yeah. Then, and he also calls him out. Well, says he's sending him some, some nice cheese, but also says calls him by his real name. And right. that's when he realizes, wait, you know who you know my name? Of course we know your name. And he says, no harm will come to you or your family from me. Yes. And he says, I think about you with concern. So that mm-hmm. seems fine, but the group is A, not very trustworthy. And B, mm-hmm. they're not the only people who are trying, who have an axe to grind against him. Because remember, sure. they did lose a customer. He's not paying them anymore. Uh, they don't yeah. have an actual reason aside from loyalty to keep him around. Yeah, but as as Avner said earlier, that loyalty is seemingly the one thing that they that they value. Seemingly, 
So Avner goes to the Israeli consulate, pushes mm-hmm. past a protesting security guard, and starts chewing out, I think, like a local security officer. Yeah, probably whoever their you know, uh, minister for agriculture, who's actually the Mossad agent is, mm-hmm. demands that they leave his family alone. He's like, if, if you're Mossad, you know who I am. If not, tell Ephraim that Avner wants to see him. Yes. He says, I'll hurt you back if you don't leave me alone. Yeah. Okay, now we have the worst part of the movie. Oh, I hated this I hated part. this scene. I hated this part. It's the worst. Well, we wanted to talk about it too long then. All right, so what happens is Ephraim, not Ephraim, Avner has basically one last dream about Munich, mm-hmm. but it happens at the weirdest time when he's uh-huh. having sex with his wife. Right. Well, I don't no, okay, hang on, hang on. Oh. So yes, there's a flashback to the muting massacre again, interspersed yeah. with Avner having sex with his wife. But I don't think he was necessarily thinking about that while doing it. I think he was. That's how I, I'm like, that's what they show it interspersed. And, like, and they show like his, like his pain in his face too. And I'm like, okay, fine. this is just. No, 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 yeah, yeah. He's probably no. thinking about it, not dreaming about it. I wouldn't use the word dreaming. Yeah. But. Let's not quote. Nightmare, whatever. Sure. So we see in the in the flashback, we won't go through too much because it's very difficult to watch. There's a gun battle at the airport. One of the guys is using a Barrett 50 cal sniper okay. rifle, which I appreciated. But then the hostages are killed. One mm-hmm. group with a grenade and the other group just by being shot with an AK-47, which I think was designed to be a parallel to when they shoot people when the agents shoot people uh, earlier. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not just with the, the other group wasn't just with a grenade. It was mm. shot and then blown up with a grenade. Oh, yes. Sorry. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. And then it all it all leads up to a part where Avner like flips and like this like, <laughs> s- this, like spray of sweat goes flying. What I imagined was like that scene in The Little Mermaid where she's in the water and her like hair just flips back. <laughs> Right. Okay, but eventually, thank goodness, the final flashback is over, and then we move on to one last talk with Ephraim Mm -hmm. on the waterfront. Yep, Avner is at this point where he wants proof that they were actually all involved with Black September, Mm -hmm. and he also finds out that they weren't the only team who was going after Black September. Right. So, clear this up for me, because I wasn't quite sure. Mm -hmm. Ephraim is saying that these all people were involved with other things, but were they also involved with Black September? Well, it, it it depends, right? So, like, if you are the leader, let, let's say you're like the secret, you're the guy in charge of money for ISIS, mm. and right. then ISIS commits the Bataclan terror attack. Are you responsible for the Bataclan terror attack? Maybe not directly, but you okay. are culpable, and right. that gets your name on the list. And if you're part of like a terrorist organization you don't really get that the benefit of the doubt. And okay. this is something that Avner was talking about. He said, we should have arrested them. Like, how, how feasible is that, really? But this is the point I was saying earlier. This is like the fifth time they have the same conversation in this movie. Mm-hmm. And they're, especially because most of them are front-loaded into the, or back-loaded mm-hmm. into the back half of the movie. It's like enough already. But then I, I think it, there's a lot of good quotes here. If these guys die, Israelis die. Ephraim says, we'll get Salome, of course. This is the question of when. Avner mm-hmm. says, did we accomplish anything at all? There's no peace at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And Ephraim is telling him to, you know, come home, you and your daughter. Do you want your daughter to be in exile? 
And mm-hmm. he says they're all sabras. What? What's that? A sabra means someone who was born in Israel. Ah, okay, cool. It's it's I also the name of a cactus there. And in the metaphor is huh. that Israelis are like cactuses, where they're hard and tough on the outside, but soft and friendly on the inside. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So Avner invites Ephraim to dinner. Again, mm-hmm. he references Judaism because that's all Jews talk about in movies. <laughs> um, Ephraim it, refuses, what, though, because what was the, what was the line? Uh, you know, you're a stranger. Um, it's written somewhere, somewhere that I'm supposed to welcome the stranger. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's in one of the Jewish prayers. Uh, but Ephraim refuses. They're they're going. Their lives are going in different directions, and there's no and, point in pretending otherwise. And then we get what I think is. I mean, may have been poignant at the time, but now it's just sort of like very ham-fisted. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Where they panic across the New York skyline, and it stops right when the World Trade Center is in, in view. I actually didn't think it was hand-fisted. Like as much yeah, as okay. I like to, right. like as much as I've been complaining about the nine eleven metaphors for the whole movie the whole time, I think you can watch the movie and not pick up on it. Mm-hmm. All but, right. but but then again, I don't I don't usually pay super super close attention to movies a lot of the time. I just sort of prefer to let it roll over me and take it all in. So. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Well, like. I guess I think in the moment, like if, if I'd seen this in theaters, that probably would have hit me a little bit harder. But now I'm just like, especially since we've been talking about all the 9/11 parallels, I was like, it seemed ham-fisted to me in that moment. It's one last thing in case you haven't mm. picked up on it by now. <laughs> there you go. And mm-hmm. articles at the time pointed that out too. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. So then we get a text box where they say nine out of eleven names were killed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's it. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So just a few things about the credits. I noticed John Williams did the score. Oh, okay. And that Daniel Craig was second build. Really? Well, I guess he is the only other one who did like survived. And I guess that's the thing we all, we ne- we don't find out what happened to Steve. Like the last we see is him in the compound, and then he all, we get a mention of him saying that you know, uh, Ephraim said, or Steve said to Ephraim that you know Avner is the best guy I ever worked for, basically. Which is funny because he's probably the only guy so far since he had joined Mossad 15 minutes before that started, right? Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that he probably stayed in the Mossad. Yeah. He doesn't seem too broken up about or conflicted about the uh, the mission. No. All right. So should we get into spy fact and spy fiction? Yes, my favorite part. And once again, I have a lot. So apologize <laughs> in advance. So as always, our source for spy fact versus spy fiction is Vengeance, the true story of an Israeli counterterrorism team by George Jonas, which was mentioned in the credits. Mm-hmm. The movie credits is based on the book Vengeance. First, I have things that are different in the movie, and then I have what takes place after the movie. So mm-hmm. there's more killings of terrorists in the book than in the movie, which of course makes sense. So one guy named Al Kubayasi is killed on the street. They just walk up to him on the street, pull guns and shoot him. He goes, no, 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 but it doesn't save his life. Mm. They also go after a terrorist named Boudia, spelled B-O-U-D-I-A. They used a truck bomb. So they, they set the bomb to explode. And then a boy and girl university student stop by the, right next to the truck and they just start like chitter chattering. Mm-hmm. Not unlike the scene where they almost kill the daughter, but fortunately the students leave in time and they go and blow it up. During the mission, all of the agents left to go and fight in the Yom Kippur War, which we mentioned before. Really? Yes. Which took place in October of 1973. Therefore, the timeline is wrong. The Avner interview could not have been in June 1973. Uh, Unless he left before all of that. 
I don't know. Well, no, because the, the interview is after the mission's over. Oh, that's true. They sure. went to go fight oh, yeah. in the middle of the mission and then came back. They, they also got in trouble for going to fight. <laughs> because they like went back to their units and their units were like, hey, man, where you been? And they're like, oh, well, you know, around. And then Ephraim is like, hey, we have enough soldiers. You do your mission. Uh, Don't blow your cover like that. Wow. Jonas has a comment about effectiveness mm-hmm. of their mission. So we talked in a little bit in the last episode about how you just kill a terrorist and someone else comes in to replace him who's even worse. So mm-hmm. what's the point? That's the message that Spielberg is trying to communicate. But Jonas says, by the end of 1973, the team could see the disarray into which the forces of terror had been thrown by the elimination mm-hmm. of nine of their top leaders. Remaining leaders were forced to abandon hiding places in the Middle East or Eastern Europe and come to Western Europe to reorganize networks that in turn made them more vulnerable to being killed. Interesting. All right. More on that later. So there's another attempt on Salome and Abu Daoud, who isn't in, that is in the movie. They mm-hmm. go to Glarus, a small town in Switzerland, and they were mm-hmm. concerned about the Lillehammer affair, which you wanted mm-hmm. to talk about last time. We can get to that later. So Louis tells that the two terrorists they want are in this church. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, this is risky because it's this tiny little town and in a church. Mm-hmm. So if something goes wrong, we're not going to be able to escape. So they, But they go in anyway. They kill three Arabs that are, had AK-47s just like chilling in the church. But they don't find the guys they want. Mm. But at one point they open the door and they find three priests there. And they're like, well, we can't kill the priests. So they just leave. Mm-hmm. And, and they blow it. The group said they were there. So it's your fault for not getting them. Hmm. So the killing of Jeanette is different. Oh. She's naked. That's, okay. that's the biggest difference. And she doesn't try to take off her clothes and she doesn't beg for her life. She, quote, reflected nothing but disdain and defiance. Hmm. And then she goes for a gun and they just kill her. She also lives with another woman. So the characters think that she's a lesbian because that was hmm. the time, I guess. Robert is also with them. That's a minor hmm. difference. Interesting. Yeah. Avner going be, be getting nervous that's all true robert blowing himself up with his own bomb that's true but the difference a little bit more about avner being paranoid mm-hmm. is that he realizes that get, killing these guys are easy you just pay somebody they're easy to find you just kill them but if it's it's so easy for him to kill them it would therefore be equally easy for them to kill him hmm. right mm-hmm. okay so the attempt on salome with the sniper rifle mm-hmm in, in the book, they're just doing recon. They uh, don't have a sniper. Oh, uh, huh. All right. There's no house party. They're, they're just looking. But then the, the he's he's not a child soldier. It, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't clear how, how old the guy was in the movie. But he's just a young guy. He comes out of the woods like zipping up his pants because he was urinating behind a tree. <laughs> That's how he was able to surprise them. They shoot. They do shoot him, but with their silenced guns. And then they just run away. Ah. Uh. So, so they, they like weren't a... dodging bullets, right? Okay, all right. The order of events were a little bit different. Hans was still alive at that point, whatever. Hans dies in the park, just like in the movie. They don't know who killed him. There's a couple of theories, like a criminal might have killed him, but then they didn't hmm. take his watch. Okay, so that's everything from the movie, but now we have post-movie, mm-hmm. or towards the end of the movie, that's different. So he did receive a hero's welcome when he got back to Israel. Random people were like high-fiving him or slapping him on the back. The old accountant, the receipts guy, quote, mm-hmm. grunted with approval as Avner gave him the accounts and some leftover <laughs> cash. 
Uh, I didn't think he'd come back. <laughs> that would have been great if that was in the movie, but there you go. Uh, um, he did meet a general. The general shook his hand and didn't hug him. Hmm. We talked. You know how in the movie they talk a little bit about his father. They keep mentioning his father, mm-hmm. which I didn't like because they should have cut that if they weren't going to like. <laughs> if they weren't going to go all the way with it, they should have cut it. But mm-hmm. the father is revealed in the movie. Used to be in the Mossad as well, but has a very antagonistic attitude towards the Mossad. He says, mm. just wait, in a few more years, you'll be sitting here waiting for them to call, but they've squeezed you dry. They locked away the rubies a long time ago. You'll still be waiting. You don't believe me, but you'll see. Hmm. Stay tuned for that. Also, remember how they talk in the movie about Yekis versus Galicianers? You, no, but sure. If you, don't, if you don't remember it, don't worry about it because it was in part one and it was very very brief so there's a little it's like basically like jews from different parts of europe and there's like a like a class struggle with that yeah and it again they shouldn't have mentioned in the movie if they weren't going to explain it but i know if you're interested in that contact us on social media we can talk about whatever so (laughs) the reason why avner leaves israel is because he wanted to be a normal human being he explains that in israel everyone's expected to be a hero sacrifice for the country while the people at top decide who gets what rewards he just doesn't he just wants to be a normal person mm. he doesn't want to live the life on the edge some israelis can handle it others can't so this is big this is huge and this is what george jonas got in trouble when he when he wrote the book so oh. do you remember how in the beginning they talked about how he would have a personal box mm-hmm. that was for his money yeah so by the end of the mission he had a, about a hundred thousand dollars in it mm-hmm. when he went back to get it after the after he quit it was gone what yes and then when he asked the Masada, when he asked the Masada about it, they were like i don't know what you're talking about Oof. so you know how you got paranoid well it was worse than that in the in the book so mm-hmm. I, I, obligatory reminder i probably should mention this before the money thing but it's just what the book says like i don't know if what the book said is true it's still a lot of it is shrouded in mystery so obligatory disclaimer so his daughter was actually threatened. He received threatening pictures in the mail. And then two men speaking Hebrew, like, tried to pick her up at school. What? Yes. He called Ephraim. Ephraim denied knowing anything about it. Of course. <laughs> but he did go to the consulate, like in the movie. Uh-huh. He went to the local security officer and threatened the families. He was like, I live here. I know where your family lives. I know where your uh-huh. kids go to school. You mess with my kid, I'll mess with yours. The consulate officer was like, hey, man, I just work here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But it worked because the mm. threatening messages stopped and, mm. he, and he got left alone. He didn't get literally dragged out like he was in, in the movie. Uh-huh. But yeah. And then, so then George points out, Avner did quit. Mm-hmm. He didn't retire. He was just like, see ya. So what do you do with an agent who just does that? Uh-huh. Ephraim, Ephraim, the Ephraim character in the book is like, if you worked for the KGB and you quit, they would have killed you. So. Right. The, the big final confrontation with Ephraim on the waterfront is all about the money, mm. not ah. about not about did we do the right thing. So Honor in the book does not conflict about whether or not they did the right thing. Hmm. It was, it was like, right. they killed us, we killed them. And, and if they if they need me to kill more people, they need me to go back and fight in another war, I'd do it. Mm-hmm. But I just can't live there. Hmm. So, that's, so that's a little bit different. I mean, that shows it's like a, a Spielberg thing. Okay, just a couple, mm. a couple, a couple more things. So... Salome had avoided many attempts on his life, including the Lillehammer affair, mm-hmm. which was where, in this tiny Norwegian town of Lillehammer, these Mossad agents killed a waiter named Ahmed Bouchiki because they mm-hmm. thought that he was Salome, but mm-hmm. he was not. And then they weren't able to, so not only did they kill the wrong person, but they weren't able right. to escape. Six oh. out of 15 of them were arrested and sentenced to 
uh, complicity in the killing by the Norwegian justice system. So that's really embarrassing in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And people still talk about it today. Hmm. Uh, but the way they did eventually get Salome was when an Israeli agent, quote, masquerading as an eccentric, cat-loving English spinster named Erica Marie Penelope Chambers <laughs> took him out with a car bomb. Wow. Not by herself. I mean, she had a team, uh-huh. but, yeah. but still. The thing about Salome working with the CIA, according to Wikipedia, is correct. According to several sources, he worked mm-hmm. with them between 1979 and 79, guaranteeing not to assassinate U.S. citizens in exchange for a financial and political report. Hmm. The U.S. officials deny it. Of course. So remember, though, this is in the 70s, which is when the PLO is active in Beirut, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of Americans who were in Lebanon. Hmm. Last thing, according to Jonas, there's no evidence that the term Operation Wrath of God was ever used to describe the operation while it was taking place, only uh, after it was over. Huh. Interesting. And I mean, they never actually call it that in the movie, too, do they? Not in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So that is your spy fact versus spy fiction from Unite Part 2. All right, so let's uh, move into favorite quotes. Do you have a favorite quote? Yes, it was said by Papa. Papa ah, is not my favorite character. <laughs> Did I steal yours? Go for it, though. I have okay. a secondary one. All right. We inhabit a world of intersecting secrecies. We live and die in the places where those secrecies meet. <laughs> That's a good quote. That was my first choice. My second choice, however, is from Louis, mm-hmm. who says... Europe hasn't been this interesting since Napoleon marched to Moscow. Interesting is one way to describe it. Yeah. All right. So we've, we've done our spy fact versus fiction, our quotes, and now it is time for our rating between one and 10 martinis. One being an absolutely horrible spy movie, 10 being the best spy movie you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, if it was just the first half of this movie, I, I would probably rate it higher than I'm going to give it now, but it's not still not a low rating. It's, I'm going to give a solid seven. Okay. It's, it's, you know, they had some pretty good, you know, pretty good action scenes, which were like emotional action scenes too, not just like straight up action, but they had an emotional heft to them. And I thought, I thought the characters are interesting and I liked that they had complexities to them and also, you know, weren't necessarily just other than maybe Steve blind but the rest were not blindly following you know their countries so i thought it was good that they had you know conflict you know conflictions but the the second half of the movie just got so dour and depressing that it was like it sort of brought down my score so it's Mm -hmm. solid seven so i am going to do what i don't usually do and rate it higher than you did oh all right i would rate it an eight out of ten because i feel like most of it is very solid. And I think splitting it into two halves actually in- increased my enjoyment of it. Okay, interesting. If you watch it all the way through, like Lord of the Rings Return of the King, you're like, <laughs> just let this movie end. I've been watching it for so long. <laughs> all right. As I mentioned, there is a lot of things that annoyed me about it, like having multiple conversations with the same subject mentioning these big political topics and then not working them out or not even political topics, like stuff with the father. So like the father stuff. Like, yeah. I realized, I just realized now that, that that's a Spielberg thing. So it can't be a Spielberg movie without having daddy issues. 
But then if you're going to have it in the movie, then have it in the movie. Like we never even meet the father and he was still alive taking during the events of this. That's true. Yeah. So maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor. But anyway, most of it is really solid. The mm-hmm. dour and dark stuff didn't bother me as much this time. I think mm-hmm. maybe because we broke it into two parts. So right. yes, that is why I stick with eight out of 10. All right. But remember, I'm biased because I like Israel stuff. <laughs> it's true, true. So speaking of things we like, uh, the International Spy Museum, which is a thing that I like, has an ex- a small exhibit on uh, the Munich bombings. And it's in their section about confronting terrorists. And from their website, it says, you know, is not a, terrorism is not a new threat. Countries around the world have experienced terrorism where we live. Palmer raids in the 1920s, work, the 1995 o- Oklahoma bombings, and play the 1972 Munich Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a part of this whole exhibit detailing, you know, ter- you know, terrorism and how it affects us wherever we are. And they do have a little segment on it. So when the Spy Museum reopens, as as we are recording, this is in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 uh, quarantine, so everything's closed. But when it reopens, be sure mm-hmm. to go and visit and check out what they have on it. I like the Spy Museum, too. I consider myself a friend of the Spy Museum. But hopefully by the time, almost certainly, I would say, almost (laughs) the world has ended. By the time this episode goes out, we will be through it one way or the other. Yeah. Well, that's it for Munich Part 2. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the Spy Fi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to The Spy-Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.